You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Now, we're going to get straight into our science and technology news for the week. And I thought I'd start by drawing attention to a story we've, we've mentioned before on the program about the possibility of there being plumes erupting from Jupiter's moon Europa. The reason why this has been in the news and the reason why we talked about it not so long ago on the show is that the Hubble Space Telescope has been tasked on various occasions to look closely for plumes because plumes were discovered out at Enceladus by Mm -hmm. the Cassini orbiter. If you want to find uh, if there's anything interesting like microbiology in the subsurface ocean of Europa, which is believed to be, they've got pretty strong evidence that there is underneath the ice on the surface a liquid ocean, Mm -hmm. uh, as is the case on Enceladus. Instead of having to go there and take some kind of massive drill, drill through several kilometres or even hundreds of kilometres of solid ice sure. to get down to the liquid to measure it and find out if there's microbes there, what better way to, to actually sample that than to fly through, take a sample of a plume that's being erupted through a fissure on the mm-hmm. surface and going out into space. And that's what they actually did with the Cassini, or Cassini orbiter out at Enceladus, even though it wasn't designed to do that. So is this a constant plume or is this an intermediate? No, it's, it's yeah. a sporadic plume yeah. is, is, the, is the answer to that. Uh, what they've done just recently is they've actually gone back and looked at data from the Galileo orbiter, which was orbiting Jupiter and looking at the various moons. I think there's about 60 moons or more of Jupiter. The Galileo orbiter did look at Europa in some detail because Europa is a very interesting object. It's got a subsurface ocean and this was pretty much confirmed by the Galileo orbiter from the mid-90s to the early 2000s. They went back and looked at the data from some of the instruments carried by Galileo, and they found an anomaly that they hadn't explained back in the day. They flew through the plume on December the 16th in 1997. So the the mission went from the mid-90s through to the early Mm 2000s, and they actually deliberately crashed Galileo into the the atmosphere of Jupiter. Same as with Cassini. They didn't want to pollute the Mm -hmm. moons, Mm -hmm. keep it all pristine, don't run the risk of carrying any unwanted bacteria from Earth, which can survive in space, and polluting a moon that would be otherwise pristine. So on December the 16th, 1997, instruments on Galileo measured a swing in the magnetic field and a jump in the density of electrons. At the time, scientists noted the unusual readings but did not have an explanation. So what they've done is they've gone back and looked at some of the Hubble data, which actually shows what they believe to be plumes, Mm -hmm. sporadic, not often, and they've actually matched that up in terms of time right. with with what the Galileo mission recorded and they've found a match. So they're now pretty certain that uh, Europa does have plumes mm-hmm. and that adds impetus to the Europa Clipper mission which is hopefully going to get out there in about 2022. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of in the early stages of development but I'm pretty sure it's been approved by NASA. One of its specific roles is to look at this plume, to fly through it, to sample it, to taste yep. it and to measure and to find out what's, what's underneath the surface yeah, of the right. ice. On, yep. on Europa. So uh, pretty exciting match they've made. There just goes to show how old data from a, a relatively primitive technology can actually be Still looked be at again useful. and yeah. remined and, uh, and, and can be very useful. There's also a European Space Agency mission, which is also going to gather impetus and be encouraged by this finding. And it's going to study the ice moons of Jupiter as well. And that's possibly going to be launched in 2020. So a great boost for those two missions, the ESA's mission and also the Europa Clipper mission, now that they've actually confirmed that there are plumes sporadic coming out of the moon Europa. 
Moving on with the news, they have found an incredible uh, uh, archaeological find on the island of Luzon, which is the part of the uh, Filipino archipelago. An Australian scientist has actually been involved in this, a paleontologist at the University of Wollongong by the name of Gert van den Berg. What's amazing about this is the fossils that they've dated from the Philippines take human occupation there back to 700,000 years ago, mm. which is way before Homo sapiens came around, the tools that they've found, and remarkably, an, almost, comple- an almost complete skeleton of a rhinoceros, which shows the signs of knife marks or, or cutting mm-hmm. on some of its bones. Mm-hmm. And that's consistent with, its being, with it being butchered probably for food. Yep and to open up some of the bones to get marrow out of uh, inside them. It predates modern humans. It pushes back the spread of people out of Africa Mm -hmm. by several hundred thousand years. Instead of there being one migration out of Africa that that spread out, it's more likely there were waves Mm -hmm. and they also happened over a much longer time frame, Mm -hmm. several hundred thousand years earlier. So this is quite a significant find. It's equally as confusing as to why a rhino would be there as well. What is a rhino doing in the Philippines? There was a type of rhino that lived in in the Philippines. It was called Rhinoceros philippiniensis. But how the ancestor rhinoceros got there to actually allow that animal Mm. to start living in the philippines and breeding no one knows and and how humans got to the philippines so much earlier this is way before Mm -hmm. these people were believed to have any kind of boats or anything like that so So it would have been a land bridge or something like that. well possibly but luzon luzon is an island which actually has very deep water around it Mm -hmm. so there you're right the sea levels were lower in the past Mm -hmm. it may have been able to walk possible to walk from one island to another in the philippines but unlikely to luzon these researchers are suggesting that maybe the rhinoceros and these people these primitive people possibly homo erectus were actually born to this island on a tsunami on a giant tidal wave now that to me seems a very far-fetched theory Mm. but we know that tsunamis happen and we know that they can move objects around Mm -hmm. so it's a possibility you can't you can't rule it out to me it seems unlikely you'd survive that yeah seems Uh, like they're just searching for an answer they're looking for an answer but but that's what that's what's really fascinating about this discovery at luzon in the philippines is that it, it is challenging a lot of their theories about you know what kind of humans were there we know about the hobbits on uh, on the island of flores up in up in indonesia homo floriensis they were very small little people mm-hmm. we know that there were other types of humans who've existed in the past mm-hmm. but how they got around migrated to these locations exactly yeah. how they how they did it and how they managed to travel to the philippines uh, is anyone's guess at the moment so a really interesting discovery there there'll be more in our show notes if you want to have a look at our website beyondinfinity.com.au Moving on with the news, NASA is sending an apparatus to the International Space Station that will create a spot, like a a little tiny spot, that's 10 billion times colder than the vacuum of space. It's called a Cold Atom Laboratory, and it's about the size of an esky, and it's going to be carried aboard a uh, one of the service rockets that goes up there and delivers supplies and other equipment experiments and so on up to the International Space Station. It'll create a temperature that's only a fraction above absolute zero or zero degree Kelvin, and that's minus 273.15 Celsius. It's the coldest temperature in the universe and is an absolute. You can't go beyond it. You actually can't even simulate absolute zero because when you get to that temperature, atoms stop moving. Mm. So what this does, getting very close to it, it allows you to look at what happens when things slow right down. There's these, I'm not even going to go too much into it, it gets pretty technical, but there's these little um, 
objects that are created called Bose-Einstein condensates. The microgravity environment aboard the ISS overcomes the problem of, of gravity on Earth if you do the same experiment, and it gives them much longer to look at what's happening when you slow things right down to that very cold temperature. And one of the possible uses for this is in superconductivities. You could send electricity with very little electrical resistance, resistance yeah. which is how a lot of the electricity is lost. So lots of possible spin-offs and benefits from that. We will follow that quite closely to see how that esky creating a spot 10 billion times colder than the vacuum of space goes up at the ISS. And finally for me, before I pass over to John for his take on the news of the week, Google has changed its mantra, and that means that the, the don't be evil instruction for employees, it's in its code of conduct, has actually been removed, and this raised some eyebrows in the tech community. What's happening with Google? Are they, are they saying that it's cool to be evil? It turns out not really. It's possibly just sort of an update, modernizing, maybe getting a little bit over the sort of slightly heavy implications that don't be evil had for employees. The final line of the code does actually say, and remember, don't be evil. And if you see something that you think isn't right, speak up. That's still there. So there's still reference to not being evil, but just not at the very beginning of that code of conduct. Yeah, so take all your data, but uh, just don't be evil about it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. John, what have you got for us? Well, if you're a Telstra customer, yesterday you might have had trouble calling, uh, receiving calls or making calls. Uh, and that was due to a major meltdown mm. of their I systems. I experienced that. Yep. Yes, so did I. Uh, like there has been, uh, over the last month, I think there's been two other occasions where the systems have gone down, uh, which they've had an answer for and they've been certainly limited to certain locations. But this one seemed to be a much uh, wider and, and larger uh, problem. Now, in the previous instances, I had no issues with making or receiving calls. Uh, but this one, yes, definitely uh, I and people that I knew definitely uh, had problems with Telstra. Mm. What they were saying was that there was a major crippling of their 4G networks, which meant that because most people are on the 4G network these days, right. they then shifted across to the 3G network and unfortunately that then crippled that system because there was too many people there. Right. And it meant that there was just no communication you could do. So there was no service, there was no It was only bars. mobile that wasn't, wasn't ADSL or NBN. Exactly. So mm. it's, look, it, it's probably some sort of hardware issue in one of their data centers mm. and uh, it's just been an overload. But unfortunately, um, they've, they've not got an answer for it. They don't actually know the, what caused it they, at this stage. They clearly have a worry, no idea. It? So look, mm. it has reduced to the normal operations. I think that happened around about 1 p.m. yesterday. Yep. Calls were, were fine after that, but it was a staggered rollout. And this was across the country in all the major cities and even some rural communities were feeling the effects of this. Wow. So I would say this is one of the biggest out outages that we've seen uh, in, in years. Mm. Uh, it is a concern that this seems to be happening with some more regularity, mm. uh, maybe calls into question uh, what their procedures are for at least updating the hardware or monitoring. I mean, if it's blamed or the fingers pointed at some intern that pushed the wrong button, then they've obviously got some pretty poor systems. And they have been taking a bit of a pounding lately. Their share price, I think, is the lowest it's been for more than five years. They're down to $2.74 today, down six cents in trading just this morning mm. on the ASX. So not good news for Telstra Well, look, if you or, look at or the, investors in Telstra. Look at, look at the NBN, which uh, incidentally I'm getting today. It's getting installed at my place today, just oh, yeah. the uh, fibre to the node. Okay. You know, that there are more providers offering uh, options for yeah. the NBN. So uh, Telstra may not necessarily corner the market. I'm sure they've got a huge share, uh, but they're losing 
potentially customers to other small And the networks. same in mobile, the mobile space as well. They're getting very intense competition from other suppliers like, uh, well, the owners of Optus Singtel yeah. and Vodafone and others as well are all competing pretty hard. So we may see the continued rise of alternate players in the market mm. and uh, maybe they'll take some market share. Mm. Now, a few months ago, we reported and have had many podcasts now available on beyondinfinity.com.au on the Cambridge Analytica scandal. This is where data was taken by Cambridge Analytica and used in order to influence the United States elections and essentially has been sold or made available to other people that want to to gain access to this information. Mm. A huge scandal. It saw Mark Zuckerberg, the head of Facebook, in front of Congress answering questions. And sort of around this time when all this information came out, uh, a lot of people went on and had used the hashtag delete Facebook. So this was across all their social media networks. Yep, including Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk. His and Tesla. And SpaceX. Yes, yes has, SpaceX yeah. and Tesla both took their pages down. And I don't think they're back up there either. And a lot of people, well, anecdotally have said, that's it, we're out. And even we reported on only a few weeks after that, that there was some anecdotal evidence to suggest that, that there were people that were using the, the network less and uh, and abandoning the system altogether. Mm. However, there has been a report from uh, Goldman Sachs, and this has basically come out and said that no, it had no effect on the Facebook uh, and the database. Went up. And even uh, Deutsche Bank has found that there was a, so there was a purge of some fake accounts. So you can go on, you, you need to create a, a real account. That's your person. Your own. But if you go on and create a second or a third or, f- or many different accounts under a false name, that's considered a fake account. Mm-hmm. And that can be shut down. And those were, but when you take those fake accounts, when you you know look at the, the, the data that's available, it appears that uh, this Cambridge Analytica scandal made little to no difference. It's even suggested that the usage has increased with Facebook. More people are using it and for a greater amount of time. So mm. business as usual, it is a major concern that people uh, don't care about their, their private information and, and what uh, is happening with it. Mm. Uh, but we do have a feature that will probably be aired next week, uh, which is talking about some new regulations that are coming to Europe uh, very soon. More on that. And if you want to s- sort of read more on that report and see some of the stats that have been made available, we'll have uh, a link in the show notes. And just finally from me... Uh, we also sort of previously reported on the FCC's net neutrality. At the moment, the law says that all traffic should be treated equally. Mm. And the FCC have argued via Arjit Pai, who was the head of the, of the FCC, that no, what we should do is repeal that, uh, mm. allow big business or anybody that can afford it to essentially be able to have higher speeds if, if they choose. The net neutrality rules were introduced by Barack Obama and now under the Trump administration, he's got a policy of winding them back, presumably exactly. because he's being pressured by interest groups and lobbyists and stuff over there. Well, it's, it is a big business thing. It only benefits big business to be able to, to allow, repeal those rules to, yeah, yes. because big business can then say well i actually want um i want it easier for, for my data to get to consumers faster mm. uh, and and i'm going to have a commercial advantage by making it slower and now a lot has been going on in uh, congress at the moment i believe in the house they've voted to review what, what's been going on with all this net, net neutrality mm-hmm. it still has to go through the senate and has to be approved by the president so it's a long way off but one thing that has come out really is that there's some documents showing that potentially Michael Cohen, which is Trump's personal lawyer, has been caught up with the Stormy Daniels and mm. uh, a number of illicit activities, potential alleged mm. illicit activities. Potentially those two had had a meeting. So Michael Cohen, the lawyer, and Arjit Pai had met with 
AT&T executives. It could be that AT&T had been paying Michael Cohen. That has actually been announced in some government uh, release documents. Oh, I believe um, Michael Avenatti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, actually released those documents. Right. It showed that AT&T were paying Michael Cohen, the lawyer, and it appears that Ajit Pai had been meeting with AT&T right after that had happened. Mm. So there's some questions whether, look, maybe uh, allegedly... AT&T was seeking influence over the president mm. by paying money mm. to Michael Cohen. And he was the gatekeeper. He, Ajit Pai had been meeting with AT&T to essentially try and get the neutrality repealed. So, look, it's very murky. There's there's nothing concrete there, but it just seems very coincidental mm. uh, that at this stage, big names, bit of money has been meeting. And unfortunately, this may see the uh, repeal of net neutrality, which would be devastating for the internet. Mm. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows.